You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 47 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. Optimizing the pension setup for our clients has become more complex after the recent super changes. I asked Daniel Mikhail of Partners Wealth Group in Sydney whether he could walk us through the different options our clients have. My first question to Daniel is whether the transfer balance cap has an impact on how we might or should structure a pension. Here's his answer. The transfer balance cap, particularly in relation to death benefits, has a considerable impact, You know, particularly in a case where you've got reversionary pensions in place. If you've got one member of a couple that passes away and that pension then continues on to the, the spouse, for example, and if the total value of the funds in pension exceeds $1.6 million, then the reversionary pensioner or the beneficiary, I should say, has to either cash out the excess, or move part of her pension back into, back into accumulation to make room for the deceased pension coming across. So how does the transfer balance cap actually work with a revisionary pension? So if I can just use an example, let's say we've got a two-member super fund, husband and wife, husband 73 years of age with an account-based pension of 1.6. So he's used up his full transfer balance cap. The value of the pension is now worth 2.1. His wife is 70 years of age. She's got an account-based pension of one, current value of $1 million, but for transfer balance cap purposes, she's only used up $700,000. Mm-hmm. Because she had $300,000 of investment gains after Correct. starting the pension. Yep. So let's assume the husband passes away. She, he's got the 1.6. So if we look at the wife's pension, she for transfer balance cap purposes, she's used up seven hundred k. So if we commute the existing pension back to accumulation, we then have a a debit against the transfer balance cap of a million dollars, which then gives her a transfer balance cap of negative $300,000. You can actually go into negative with your transfer balance cap. Okay, so she's at negative three hundred. So then when we transfer... But where do you get the one million from? Because... Because the current value of the pension... Is a million dollars. Oh, okay. So it's the value of the pension that gets debited so she, against the. I see. So she does a lump sum commutation of one back million. to accumulation. Okay. Yep. So which gives her the negative of of, of three hundred, and then when Bob's pension, or, so his name is Bob, when we bring over his reversionary pension to her, that goes as a credit against her transfer balance cap. Let's go through this example again. Bob has an account-based pension with a transfer balance account, TBA, of $1.6 million. So he has hit his transfer balance cap. His pension assets have done well and are actually worth $2.1 million on the 1st of July 2018. Bob receives a pension that is reversionary to his wife, Linda. So this is Bob. Unfortunately, Bob dies on 1st of July 2018. And Linda receives this reversionary pension. But the problem is that Linda already has an account-based pension with a TBA of 700000 and a market value of $1 million. 
so Linda has 900,000 left in her TBA, which is one point, the 1.6 million cap minus the 700,000 she's already used up, gives us 900,000. To make room for Bob's pension, she converts 1 million back to accumulation. So her transfer balance account is now minus 300,000, which is the 700,000 TBA minus the 1 million market value is minus 300,000. If Linda now receives Bob's reversionary pension, her transfer balance account would be hit with a credit of 2.1 million, the market value at the time of Bob's death. So in this scenario, her transfer balance account would be 1.8 million, which is 2.1 million plus the negative 300,000. So these 1.8 million would exceed the current transfer balance cap of 1.6 million. As a result, Linda needs to commute another 200,000 to accumulation or cash it out. And as you know, Linda has 12 months to sort all this out because she's receiving a reversionary pension. So the credit to her transfer balance account can wait until the 1st of July 2019 because Bob died on the 1st of July 2018. Let's assume the value of Bob's assets increased to 2.2 million over those 12 months from 1st of July 2018 to 1st of July 2019. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that the value of the assets increased. Linda still only receives a credit of 2.1 million, the market value, at the time of Bob's death, not the market value at the time of the transfer. So the moral of the story is that we don't transfer the deceased transfer balance account across, and we also don't consider the market value at the time the actual credit happens. Instead, we transfer the market value at the time of death. Back to Daniel. It's important that with beneficiaries, they need to work out a strategy in terms of freeing up their cap to be able to receive the deceased pension. And there are a number of ways you can do that, whether it's commuting back to accumulation, cashing up some of that benefit completely out of super. So you need to consider what the beneficiary's marginal tax rate is. If they've got no income in their own names, it might make sense to just rather than commuting back to accumulation where it's 15% from on all earnings from dollar one, whereas in their personal names they can earn, you know, let's call it 18 grand tax-free, it might make sense to actually have some of their assets sitting in their own names where they're paying no tax anyway, then commute back some of their pension into accumulation. So that's an analysis we help our clients with to determine what's the best way to structure their affairs to get the best tax, tax outcome. So in relation to reversionary transition to retirement income streams, so that's where you've got a reversionary in place on a TRIS. If the beneficiary is has not met a condition of release, then that benefit needs to go back to accumulation and then from there you can then decide or the beneficiary will decide as to whether they want that cashed out as a lump sum or um, paid out as a death benefit pension. But if a reversionary tris yep. goes back into the spouse's accumulation, yep. the spouse can't take the money out of accumulation because they haven't met a condition of release. No, it, it goes back into the deceased's accumulation account. Okay. Yeah, and then from there they then decide where it goes. Okay. Yeah, and so it, that's basically what a death benefit is. It, it's paid out of the deceased accumulation. Correct. Once it's in the uh, beneficiary's accumulation, yep. they can't take it out anymore. Until no, they that's right. And yeah, and it, 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 yeah, it could never end up in the 
beneficiary's accumulation account. Because then it's stuck there. Because it's stuck there. Yeah, so uh, only beneficiaries who have met a condition of release can receive the reversionary pension. There's a consultation paper uh, it's been re- that was yes. released earlier this year that's addressing this issue. So um, the ATO is currently looking at that to, to hopefully allow people who have not met a condition of release to, to receive yeah, a reversionary tree yeah. pension. And yeah. that's probably very relevant for second marriages where one spouse is a lot older than the other spouse. Yep. Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. So we'll now talk about contribution splitting. So that's whereby you, a member, would make uh, concessional contributions and what you can do with those is split up to 85% of those contributions to the spouse. So where there's where you can utilise this strategy is splitting to a to a spouse that's older who will have access to super sooner and we've certainly used that for a lot of our clients where they've got older spouses and moving those funds across or splitting those funds those contributions across to the older spouse where they might already be in pension phase or approaching pension phase so therefore they'll get access to super sooner they'll get access to the tax free exemption on you know in pension phase sooner than the other spouse or for reducing their super balance to get them under the 1.6. So if they're on the cusp of being at the 1.6 and they've obviously got contributions coming in, that's getting them close to the 1.6, they can redirect those contributions via this super splitting uh, off to their spouse who might have a, a you know a much lower balance. Mm. And super splitting is basically just saying this is for spouse A or this is for spouse B. Yep. When, when you make a payment, you have to nominate which member it should go to. Yeah, it has to be a spouse, though. It has to yeah. be a spouse. Yeah, and it can and only be up to 85% of your total concessional contributions of the previous financial year. Ah, oh, I see. So it's only it's really only an issue for concessional contributions because you are claiming the tax deduction Correct. for non-concessional contributions. You can't, it you can't split. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't... No. You, you can split because... It just doesn't matter how you split, etc., because you just make the payment. Nobody looks at where the payment is no. coming from. You just say this is either for spouse yep. A or it's for spouse yep. B, but nobody asks where does it come from. No, it's yes. in the case of a self-managed super fund, I'm guessing you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, in the case of a retail fund, it's very different. Once yeah. it goes into that person's account, that's it. It's allocated to them. But you are saying who, whose account it's going yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So... In the case of retail or self-managed, um, with concessional contributions, you've always got the ability to split. to split to to to. So spouse A claims the uh, deduction, yep. but spouse B gets the contribution. Correct. Yeah, yeah, eighty-five percent of that contribution. Yep. Tris pensions—they're not required to be reported for transfer balance cap purposes. Because they're no longer exempt. They're no longer exempt. So they're effectively the same as having the funds in accumulation phase. The only difference, obviously, is you're required to draw a minimum pension on your your TRIS. If it's in accumulation phase, you don't have to draw any funds out. Oh, really? A TRIS has a minimum pension payment just as a normal pension? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. What I've done for a lot of my clients is if, you know, that if they don't need the income, then I've always suggested to them that they just move it back to accumulation. Back to accumulation, you're still paying the same rate of tax on the earnings. It's not changing, and rather than unnecessarily withdrawing money out of your 
out of your superannuation fund, move the funds back to accumulation, tax rate's not going to change. You don't have the requirement to withdraw the minimum pinch that you require to draw uh, and, and keep the funds in super. That's how we've generally approached the issue around that. So that's just some pension strategies that you can potentially take advantage of post 1 July um, 2017. Welcome back. Regarding beneficiaries who have not yet met a condition of release, it will be interesting to see whether the ATO will allow these beneficiaries to receive a reversionary pension. At the moment they can't, but it would be great for our clients if this changed due to the current ATO's review. After the interview, I asked Daniel more about his work and I thought he made some interesting comments about ring-fencing your client base that I wanted to share with you. So here they are. You used to be a tax advisor and then changed into financial planning? Correct, yeah. yeah. Because I find it amazing how across tax you are. I think you well, I think the two professions really need to work together moving forward particularly under the limited licensing and now accountants have to be licensed to give this sort of advice. Partners Wealth Group, who I work for, we are purpose-built to work with accounting firms. That's that's what we're, that's that's how we started. And we've got a great track record in working with accountants to help their clients with their broader needs. So not just their, so obviously they typically go to their accountant for tax work, but then there's other needs that need to be addressed and, what clients tend to do is they tend to go elsewhere to get those needs serviced and sometimes and in some cases or in a lot of cases what we're seeing now is the other place that they're going to to, to service their other needs, they might have an accounting function and therefore that client might end up taking their affairs elsewhere because all of their needs are being addressed through the one entity. entity. Yeah. We're out there speaking to accounts all the time and, we, you know, we're basically saying to them that you want to be able to ring-fence your client base and offer all the services that they need under the one umbrella or under the one entity so that you don't have clients going elsewhere to service their other needs and potentially moving their tax affairs elsewhere. Oh, I see. So you often provide the financial advice under the umbrella of the accountant. Yeah, correct. So you well, don't actually represent partners. Well, I, no, I represent partners. So so we have three engagement models. One is purely on a referral basis. So the the, the accountant might have a client that, that needs to be serviced from a financial planning risk or whatever the case may be, and they refer the client to us and we look after them. The other engagement model is it's a bit it's formalized and they would refer clients and and there's a fee sharing arrangement there and the next level up would be to do a joint venture with that accounting firm so whereby we're doing it under their brand name so and obviously they they're sharing in half the revenue. So when you do the third model in a joint venture, you yep. wouldn't just do that for one client. No. It would mean you do the financial advice for the entire client base of that account. Well, that, that would, yeah, the aim would be to target as many clients as possible within that client base. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. Welcome back. 
So this is all for today. If you ever have time, please write to heide at texttalks.com.au. I can see that you are listening on Stitcher and iTunes, but it would be wonderful to hear from you directly. In the next episode, episode 48, Stephen Fine of Gross Focus will talk about how to buy an accounting practice. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Thank you.